This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Powerplay, a series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel. I'm Carissa Yong, SD's US correspondent based in Washington. And I'm Denson Chung, SD's China correspondent based in Beijing. Every month, the both of us will look at various facets of the US-China rivalry and its implications for Asia. This episode, we're going to look at the national security messaging that Washington and Beijing have been putting out recently, and how that might affect what US-China competition looks like going forward. The Chinese Communist Party is holding its 20th party congress now as we record this, and one really big theme that has emerged is security. Yeah, that's right. We'll talk more about that later, but on the US side, the Biden administration released a document called the National Security Strategy last week. This is a report that every US president has to send to Congress, and the point of it is that it communicates the White House's national security vision to congressmen and senators. So actually, this one should have been out earlier, but it was delayed by the Russian invasion of Ukraine back in late February. I can imagine China was a big part of this. Unsurprisingly, yes. The Biden administration has said it before, but they said it again here. The NSS called China the most consequential geopolitical challenge for America. So the strategy draws a distinction between China and Russia. Russia is more of a short-term and immediate threat to the regional security order in Europe, given its invasion of Ukraine, says the strategy. But China is viewed as more of a long-term and consequential threat. So to the US, China is the only competitor with both the intent and the ability to reshape the international order. And not only that, but the strategy said that Beijing has the ambitions to create an enhanced sphere of influence in the Indo-Pacific and to become the world's leading power. And it also says that Beijing is trying to shape technology norms and erode U.S. alliances around the world. All of this affects U.S. national security, and Washington's solution to this is American leadership so that it can set the norms, and so that Beijing can't. It sounds like there's also an ideological angle to all of this, right? Yes, the national security strategy frames the global contest as one between democracies and autocracies to show which system of governance can best deliver for the people and for the world. Could you explain you know, what all this has to do with national security? Well, according to the US, the problem is when authoritarian governments have foreign policies that challenge the liberal international order. And it says that China is one of these countries. So the US sees China as trying to create more permissive conditions for its authoritarian model and it sees China as trying to influence technology norms and standards so that it's more aligned with China's own interests. But interestingly, though, the NSS also says that Washington can work with non-democracies and it explicitly disavows regime change as a goal. So this means that countries which aren't democracies and which might have been put off by this whole democracies versus autocracies framing might be more inclined to support Washington against Beijing. To be honest, this all really sounds a little bit ambitious. Yeah, that's one big criticism of the NSS. Some analysts say it reads like the US is trying to have it all. You know, it's taking China and Russia on at the same time. It's trying to outcompete China in every single domain while also constraining Russia. And it's trying to strengthen America's global leadership. And I mean, actually, if you read the NSS, it's very wide ranging and it has an all encompassing set of goals. Actually, every region of the world is mentioned and there's so many domains of competition that they delve into. Even the Arctic region and space, space factors into America's national security. And it has very few acknowledgements of America's limitations to achieve all of these things. But Denson, I'm curious, how does China view all of this? Well, China has said very little about the NSS so far. 
But I think we can look at Chinese President Xi Jinping's speech and the 20th Party Congress this week. I think gives us a little bit of a better idea. So, you know, the Party Congress is this party meeting that takes place once every five years. You know, and this particular edition has been closely watched because this is where Xi will get his third term as leader of the Chinese Communist Party. So, you know, you have to look at it this way. Here he is sort of breaking with long-standing party norms that, you know, China's top leader can only stay in power for two five-year terms. So he naturally has to give some kind of explanation or reasons as to why he's continuing on at the top. So what does this have to do with uh, national security? So, I mean, earlier this week, you know, Xi gets in front of party members and the nation and he delivers, you know, this 90-minute address that really is quite grim and ominous. So, for instance, he talks about how um, China must be prepared for strong winds and high waves and, you know, dangerous storms. The term security or anquan appears something like 52 times in his speech. So it's really, you know, this, this sort of crisis mode address. And if you look at, you know, how he talks about uh, China's international relations, he says, for instance, that there have been external attempts to blackmail, contain, blockade, or, you know, exert maximum pressure on China, and that these attempts may escalate at any time. So he talks about, you know, how the international balance of power is shifting and, and China needs to safeguard its interests. Uh, that sounds very much like a reference to the US. Yes. So, you know, the, the, the US is never explicitly mentioned, but you get the sense of how, you know, it just looms over all of China's security concerns. On Taiwan, for example, you know, he says pointedly that China won't renounce the use of force and that, you know, these measures are directed at external forces who try to interfere, you know, with the island. And then on technology, you know, he says China needs to achieve, you know, greater self-reliance and strength. You know, of course, he's saying all of these to, to position himself as the person to lead China through these storms. But you get a sense of how he views the challenge posed towards China by the US. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. So that's a really pessimistic view. And, you know, my question is, what is C's plan to deal with all of these challenges? Well, we won't see specific policies being rolled out at the Party Congress, but I think the speech, what it really does is sets the direction for China over the next five, ten years, and you know even longer. And, and I think my take is, C knows that China needs to hunker down and reduce its reliance on the West. Uh, and you see hints in, of this in how he talks about how we need to develop our country and our nation with our own strength. And you know, and on technology, he talks about how China must reach a high level of technological self-sufficiency and how it needs to improve training for scientists and engineers and, and things like that. You know, all of this is really driven by a concern that the US is out to curb China's rise. Just look at the recent sanctions, you know, banning the export of high-tech chips and chip-making equipment to China. Yeah. Do you think that China will try and reach some sort of autarky? No, not exactly. I, I think we might see it try to do that, you know, with, with some, some, some critical technologies. But I think, you know, a big part of its strategy is also to try and increase its trade links with the rest of the world so that any kind of effort at decoupling China will become more difficult. But, you know, Carissa, you know, having said all of this, you know, what do you think this means for US cooperation with China? It doesn't look good, does it? Well, on the bright side, despite the harsh words it has for Beijing's ambitions, Washington quite deliberately left the door open to cooperation. You know, the NSS said that China is central to the global economy and that it has a significant impact on shared challenges, particularly climate change and global public health. 
And the NSS argues that it is possible for the US and China to coexist peacefully and that they will cooperate and compete at the same time. Yeah, that's easier said than done. Yeah. A big question now actually is how the US will cooperate with China while competing at the same time, especially if China doesn't want to cooperate. And, you know, lately, Washington and Beijing haven't had a great track record of working together. You know, they also appear to be increasingly locked in a dynamic of mutual mistrust, I would say, you know, making future cooperation ever harder. Yeah, you know how after the new US export sanctions on semiconductors were announced, you know, there was talk on the grapevine that Xi Jinping and Joe Biden's face-to-face meeting in Bali at uh, the G20 Leader Summit might not happen. You know, and if it really does turn out that way, I think... You know, it's going to be very grim indeed. Yeah, well, let's see what happens. Okay, thanks, Carissa. I think that nicely wraps up our chat. You've been listening to Powerplay. I'm Danson Chong. And I'm Carissa Young. Do check out our bylines in the Straits Times online. We also have links in our podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the Audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.